Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I am joined, as always, by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? Have you recovered? Uh, no, I've not recovered. I usually come on here bumbling and saying, yeah, I'm good, Elliot, I'm good. But let's not lie, it still hurts and I think I'm okay. It's Monday morning, it's raining and I'm just thinking of what could have been. But overall, I'm okay. I'm okay. It stings, doesn't it, still? Um, it very much feels like the morning after the night before, and I think the tone of this podcast will ultimately reflect that, although we will try and G ourselves up a little bit. But it re- it really was a, a devastating afternoon yesterday, and I feel like I've gone through several different stages of grief about the result. I'm currently in reflection, uh, which is a nicer place to be than the immediate anger that followed the full-time whistle. And we are obviously going to start with Sheffield United. We'll obviously Blackburn beat Reading earlier in the week. We'll come on to that and the league and how things look for the final nine games of the championship season a little bit later. But we've got to start at Bramall Lane because there's so much to unpack. We'll try and run through it chronologically. And if we go back to you know 12 o'clock, 10 past 12, Rovers started quite bright, dropped off a little bit. Sheffield United had more of the ball. Massive save at 0-0 from Ainsley Pears to deny James McAtee. Travis didn't track the runner. I, I, it was really weird, the ball through from Egan, and he just seemed to just run straight through. And it was really confusing, but I've seen it back. It was Travis that didn't quite track his run. But Rovers, you felt there was definitely chances on the break in transition. Gallagher was causing quite a lot of problems in behind their defence. They looked wide open. I was really surprised. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a Sheffield United fan on the way home, and to say they're second in the league, I know they've not been in the best form. I was really shocked how open they were on transition and how easy it was to break through their midfield lines and get at the back three. That's kind of where the first goal comes from. It's a nice ball from uh, Smodix into Tyler Morton down that side, cross it over, Gallagher hits it. And I have to be honest, from the press box, which was pretty bang central on the halfway line um, to the right of the Blackburn Rovers fans, if you were looking from the away end, Nothing even occurred to me. It just looked like a good block and then it was a good save. Um, VA obviously gets involved. I'd be, I'd be interested from your point of view, Ryan, as obviously someone who was, went as a supporter, you were sat in the away end. What was the experience like for that decision in terms of VAR? Obviously, there was no real communication. We didn't really know what it was for. I'd got friends at home messaging me who said, it's definitely handball. And it was handball, first and foremost. He, he puts his 
um, hand out of the line of his body. It blocks a goal-bound shot. For me, yes, you can argue maybe it's a little bit harsh because of the fact that it's close range, but his hand is in an unnatural position. It blocks a goal-bound shot, and for me, it was a definite penalty, which, of course, Ben Burton Diaz slots away. Ryan, what was that experience first and foremost like? So I imagine it's one of the first you've experienced a VAR when sat in an away end. Yeah, it was the first. Um, it was really strange because I had no one contacting me because probably everyone who I know who supports Rovers was <laughs> in that away end. So uh, just to play it out from my experience, um, firstly, I was disappointed with Sam Gallagher not putting that chance away the way that he probably should have done. You know, I, I don't think he hit it as well as he could. He did um, scuff it, you're right. Real scuff. And I'm like, oh, what a big chance that is. And then like, you're just kind of watching him just like delay the corner taking. And to be honest, I'd forgotten that VAR was at the stadium. So we're just having a general chin wag with my mates. And then it just pops up on the screen, VAR checking penalty decision. And we're like, oh, here we go. So then the fans are all chanting VAR, VAR. And it's uh, obviously starting to, to just rumble up there. And then when you see it, you know, checking possible penalty and they send the ref over to the monitor, you then start getting excited. The world's smallest monitor, by the way. I could barely see where it was on the opposite side of the pitch to us. And what I will say, I had a slight moan to my friend about this. I was like, why have they put the monitor in front of all those home fans as well? I thought they usually put it in front of the dugout, so at least you've yeah, got equal representation. So I was quite surprised with the location of uh, where the VAR monitor was. But, you know, when we've all seen the replays back, it's a definite penalty. Um, it's not, you know, his arm isn't out as, as much as I've seen other penalty decisions given. But that Sam Gallagher shot is going on target and Fodderingham's having a save to make without it. So it's absolutely the right decision. Then the Ben Brereton penalty. We spoke about on the last pod, uh, the podcast, didn't we? The last one, Elliot. My record I thought Smoddix was going to take it at one stage because Sam Smoddix was stood over the ball for a long period of time. And I was saying to my colleagues in the press box, I don't know why Smoddix has got the ball. Like, Brereton's mm. on the pitch and obviously ends up taking it off him sort of last minute and puts it in the back of the net. I don't know if that was a... He was ever going to take it or not, but that was just something peculiar that I'd noticed at the time. Well, they did the trippier Isaac thing, didn't they, for Newcastle, just uh, all the mind games. But um, my record with penalties at Bramall Lane is is not good, as we discussed last time. So I, I literally could not watch it, Elliot. I was like, did you not Why? watch it? I was hiding behind something. I just, <laughs> I just a small I, child. I just, I was like, why is there another penalty in this stadium when I'm here? It is just wrong. But I tell you what. Brereton's had to hit that hard because Fodderingham went big on that side and it's a great penalty in front of that home end. You know, brilliant, brilliant moment for us. And um, you could say slightly against the run of play, I'd say, with how Sheffield United were playing. And I thought it was really important for Rovers, if we were going to win that game, to go ahead in that game. So um, brilliant from us. And just to go back slightly, important save for Ainsley Pairs as well because had we gone 1-0 down, I don't think we're having the conversation as we are today on this podcast. I think it would have been a totally different game if McAtee scores. Yeah, absolutely. Because both sets of supporters were up for it. It made for a really, really good game, good atmosphere. It was a fascinating contest. And one moment that follows shortly after, which I don't think quite enough is being made of personally, I think Jack Robinson should have been sent off because he was booked for the penalty. Now, is it a yellow card for the penalty? I think you could argue maybe it's a bit harsh to book him. It's definitely a penalty. Does it need to be a yellow? Maybe a bit harsh if you want to argue on his side. But for me, shortly after, there's a challenge on Ryan Hedges where he slides into the get, try and get the ball, misses it completely, catches Hedges down the sort of Rover's right-hand channel. And if he hadn't already been booked, he's getting a yellow card for that challenge. For me, that is a definite yellow card. It's a second yellow because of the penalty 
booking and he should have been sent off with, what, half an hour played-ish? 25, even 25 minutes played. So for me, I, I thought that was a definite red card. I think it's probably one of them that the away fans didn't really appeal for, Elliot, because obviously such was the excitement of the whole VAR thing with the penalty. Now you've told me that, I didn't even realise Jack Robinson got booked in that whole penalty incident just because well, we were It was right down, in, in fairness to the away fans, it was right down the opposite side, sort of in front of us on the channel, but it was closer to the cop end, obviously. Mm. So you wouldn't have necessarily picked up on it. Um, but it's, it, it's definitely, if he hadn't mm. already been booked, it's a yellow card. Yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, playing against 10 men, although we lost with 10 men last season, enough said of that one, um, you know, that's a different game. So, yeah, that's disappointing to hear that, um, you know, and, and all you want is is the big decisions to go the right way in games of this stature, don't you? So, um, yeah, I'll have to look at the highlights of that one because I totally missed that, to be fair. And maybe it's one we would have appealed had we known that Jack Robinson was on a booking. Hmm. It was interesting because no one really appealed for the penalty either, did they? No, no, no one did. Like it just looked like Sam Not Gallagher, even Gallagher just... who was obviously right in front of it, who hit the shot, which I suppose is quite interesting. But sort of minutes later, I think there was seven minutes between the opener and then, unfortunately, the equaliser follows. It's really unlucky if we're being honest. You can't be too critical. Yes, maybe you could clear the corner slightly better, but it falls to Max Low. It's going two or three yards comfortably wide. Pez has seen it out. And Gallagher sticks out a leg. I don't blame him. You would. You, he's clearly lost his bearings of where the goal is. It hits his knee, deflects wildly off into the other corner. It's one all. Very annoying to concede when you've worked hard to get in front, but it, it happens, doesn't it, in football, unfortunately. It's just a bit of bad fortune. And then I thought both sides traded blows. I thought there was periods where Sheffield United looked really good and I thought Rovers sat off them a little bit too much and you, I just wanted them to be a bit braver and, and chase after them a little bit more. But equally, Rovers looked really dangerous on transition. And that was something that was a constant theme throughout the game where they won the ball back and they could really find their way through the the middle line of Sheffield United. They got in at the back three several times. They just missed that little bit of quality with the final pass or with the um, with the, the finish. And half-time, 1-0, pretty evenly poised. And then Rovers made a really good start to the second half. Fotheringham with a brilliant double save, first from Pickering down low to his right, which... Is a really good save because I think it comes through quite a few bodies as well on Pickering's right foot. And then Brereton Diaz with the rebound, Fotheringham's up. Having seen the replay, could he have gone across the goal and gone into the other corner? Maybe it would have got blocked. I'm not being too critical there of Brereton Diaz, but it's a big chance. It's a huge opportunity. And then equal at the other end, Lewis Travis has an absolute nightmare and Ainsley Pears has to, to bail him out. Really, really short back pass. Not really sure what he's thinking. And McAtee's in on goal. That was a huge save. That was a massive moment. That was even bigger than the first save at 0-0. It's all very even. Both teams trading blows. Brilliant contest, to be quite honest. Not a lot of control. or Probably not a lot of quality in terms of some of the play at times, in terms of giving the ball over and turnovers. But very even. Really good watch. And then just the moment you're dreaming for. You're hoping for a break. And Morton wins it back in midfield again. Sheffield United turned it over sloppy into Gallagher. Into Smodix, 2-1, brilliant finish. Uh, definitely on side. Were there any doubts with your mind in terms of you guys celebrating in the away end that the flag could go up and rule it out? Only after we'd done the mental hard celebrations. So that away end was absolutely phenomenal when Smodic scored that goal and um it's a really just, good finish as well oh totally um so you kind of think once you've done all the celebrating and your mind kind of catches up with things you're like oh 
Smodic maybe looked offside there and then you know that VAR is involved and in the stadium. So you're like, just please get given, please get given. And then when nothing was popping up on the screen and, and play resumed, obviously you knew the goal had been given. But what a moment. And I'm sure every Rovers fan in that away end agrees that that away end and that goal was was something special when that went in. And we probably all started to believe again at that point because we were brilliant in that second half for that period. Yeah, absolutely. And and those chances kept coming. Hedges, of course, hits the inside of the post. I know that one was really agonising for you because it was right behind you. Oh, I, I can't tell you how close that was. I don't even think the replays and, you know, the TV footage does that justice. Like, it was just... I've not had many moments like this supporting Rovers. I can probably liken it to Pedersen's header away at Old Trafford when you just, you're expecting that it's just the net's going to bulge and it's in and for whatever reason it didn't. And he did really well, Hedges, didn't he, to just, I think it was a poor pass out to him when we were breaking on that transition, as you say, and yeah. he made the chance for himself and he's done everything right. And it's just the way that that's gone across the line. At the time, I said to my mate, I was just like, I hope we don't rue that. I really hope we don't because that just would have that would have been game dead right there. I know Sheffield United have come from behind in plenty of games before, including this one. I think 3-1 finishes that game because I think they were they were arguing with each other. They were panicking a bit. They were There was nerves in the stadium, weren't there? Totally. I think 3-1 finishes it. So it's all if, buts and maybes. But yeah, that hedges chance just, I think that's the thing that will probably replay in my head the most. Just the, the you know, the look of that ball just spinning across that line the way that he did. And it, I was just waiting for it to just go in off the other post or in the other side of the net. And it oh, just annoying. <laughs> Yeah, there were other good chances as well. Bereton did really well to get down the left. Good crossover. Gallagher's inches. If he just gets a stud on it, which is not a criticism because if you can't reach it, you can't reach it, but a stud turns it into the back of the net. And there were so many opportunities for Rovers to, to break in transition and, and really finish the game off. There was one instance where they were three on three and Gallagher just overruns the ball and Smodix, you can see, is absolutely furious. And there were so many good opportunities like that and they just couldn't finish the game off. Ten minutes to go. This 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 is obviously the, the deciding factor and, and where everything swings. Ryan Hedges comes off. Joe Rankin-Costello comes off. Scott Wharton comes on. Uh, Callum Britton comes on. Rovers go to 5-4-1. Ten minutes to go. Rovers have done this plenty of times this season. I don't necessarily blame Thomason for doing that. And then to concede probably, what, three minutes later, four minutes later... It's a really sloppy goal, really scruffy one to concede. I think Britain should probably do better in the right channel. It's too easy to work it back inside to the centre of the pitch. McBurney skips through a couple of flimsy challenges from from Travis and Carter between them, really. Hyam can't get across quick enough, and it's a it's a good finish from McBurney and Furness across pairs. Saw a little bit of people suggesting pairs should do a little bit better, maybe. I, I don't think so. I think it's a really good finish. I'm, I'm not particularly pointing any fingers at Ainley pairs, certainly not after the saves he made earlier in the game. And for me, this is where my criticism and my analysis comes in on Yondal Thomason, because I I think those changes cost the game and not necessarily making them before the equaliser, but to not change it at two all when all the momentum was with Sheffield United. Rovers couldn't get out. There was no threat. All of a sudden, this brilliant transitional play and these sweeping counter-attacks have gone because Gallagher's Absolutely cream crackered. Brighton Diaz is playing left wing back essentially because he's been dragged that deep 
And it was all Sheffield United pressure. Sheffield United obviously loaded up their team with attackers as well. They'd got Sharp on at this point with McBurney and Jai, McAtee. They'd thrown everyone out on. Rovers had thrown all the defenders on. And there was no balance to the game. And there was only one team from that point that was going to go and win the game. And that's because Rovers went too deep and they couldn't get out. Now, I don't blame, as I say, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I don't want to be too critical because it was a... Really good game. Rovers lost on the toss of a coin. Do not get me wrong. But when we, you know, we comb through the aftermath and what cost them, I think that period between two all and three two, Rovers not making a tactical change to go back to the four two three one that had worked so well for them, should have brought Tyrese Dolan on for probably Hayden Carter because you're not going to take Hyam off and Wharton's just come on. Go back to what was working, and I think. You, you've got to give them something to worry about. But Sheffield United could just keep pouring forward and pouring forward and with the momentum of the crowd and it just felt like it was only going to go one way. And that, for me, is the only place where I can, can look at the game tactically and go, Thomason got that wrong and should have been quicker to react during that period. I think when you said give them something to think about, I think, you know, you know what I'm like with with football and, and the mentality and psychology of football. When your first two changes in a game of football are ultimately two defensive changes uh, with Britain and and with Scott Wharton, if you're Paul Heckingbottom, you're like, ah, here we go. These boys are just going to sit back now. Let's give them something to worry about for 10 minutes. So I just think a Ty Dolan, even before those two changes, on for Sam Gallagher, who's knackered, just shows Sheffield United that we're still here, we're still pushing for that third goal and gives them something to think about, as you say. So the two changes, I think, just signalled all our intent. And, you know, when you're taking off someone like Joe Rankin-Costello, who's been arguably one of our best performers this season, as we've already spoken about, who had his side locked down, you know, there wasn't much coming down that side. He did really well filling in at times as like a right-sided third centre-back at at certain points in that game. I just think we signalled all that intent to Sheffield United and at home, in front of their home fans, at Bramall Lane, all those things we spoke about on the last podcast, they need no invitation. And we are a relatively young and inexperienced squad, as as we've said. And, and some of these players have been around the block. Billy Sharp, Ollie McBurney, players like that. So I think it just signalled all the intent. Um, for the second goal, I just think it's just sheer bad luck on Rovers' part. I think... Yeah, Callum Britton maybe could have done better, but I actually think Ollie McBurney's done really well. He's he's wriggled, he's got through, and on another day, Carter probably makes the challenge and he doesn't. And it is a good finish. There's no um, blame attached to pairs there. But I'm in total agreement with you. It's that bit afterwards. We've done this so many times before away from home when there is no out ball, when there's nothing that you can just hit and keep the ball up the other end of the pitch. Law of averages says you're going to get punished eventually. And that was the disappointing thing. It would have just been nice to just have a bit more confidence that we can still keep playing the way that we were, still keep playing that game, rather than trying to hang on to a 2-1 or 2-2 that we still think we can go and threaten them at the other end. So, yeah, that's the the kind of anger and what-if part of, of how I'm feeling as a fan after this, that had we not made those two changes and had we brought Dolan on, could we be having a different conversation now? Yeah, for me, it's not the two changes. It's the lack of change after at two all. I understand why he did it. If he hadn't made those changes and they conceded, we'd have gone, why is he not trying to shut up shop? So it's not those two changes for me that I'm questioning. It's why was the no reaction when it went to two all to yeah. then revert back? You know, taking JRC off for Britain, I don't think that... that JRC was knackered. Like, that's fine. I haven't got a problem with that. 
bringing on an extra centre-back. Scott Wharton, who's played a lot of games, probably one of the most experienced on that bench they've got. I haven't got a problem with that. I've got a problem with not reacting to the fact that it was all Sheffield United at two all and they were absolutely hanging on, pinned back. Even he could have changed by the fact that they were playing 5-4-1. Why mm. didn't you go... You could have gone 5-3-2 and moved Smodix off the right into back into a central zone and put Brereton up front with Gallagher just to give them a little bit more of an outball. You could have even changed the shape slightly with what he had on the pitch, but we stuck with a 5-4-1, which meant there was like a line of five, basically a line of seven and two in front. And they got too many attacking players on the pitch and there was just too much momentum and they couldn't get out. Of course, plenty of controversy over the winning goal. Thomason came into his press conference quite clearly with a point to make because the first few questions no one asked about Morton and he, he was trying to bring it up. So he got his opportunity. In his mind, the game should have absolutely been stopped for a head injury. Tyler Morton goes down holding his face. It looks like he gets poked in the eye, um, potentially by Illiman and Jai. Of course, then the ball's played sent. Well, it's worked wide, comes back in centrally, and Doyle smashes it into the top corner. It's a goal good enough to win any match. It's game over from the moment it goes in. Devastation on everyone's face. But Thomason was pretty unhappy with the fact that the game was not stopped for that decision. He said to the referee after the game, I asked him whether he got an explanation or whether he'd spoke to the officials, and he said that. He said briefly at the end that it should have been stopped, and he, he thinks the referee knows that he made a mistake although the referee didn't admit that in any way. what What's your take on it? Uh, undoubtedly, it's soft. Undoubtedly, Morton goes down with, it's not a lot of contact. He probably should just clear the ball and do better anyway after losing it. But probably by the letter of the law, Thomason's got a point. I, I don't think it's a foul. I think it's really soft. But by the letter of the law, he's probably got a point. My first disappointment with this is what is Tyler Morton doing in the first place, keeping that ball in play? So I can't remember who it was. I think it was a Sheffield United left back or something like that. They kind of did an outside of the boot down the line and it looked like the ball was going to go out and it didn't. So Morton starts trying to shield the ball and then ultimately isn't strong enough. And the Sheffield United guy obviously comes in. So had Tyler Morton just knocked that ball out of play then we're having a different conversation here right now. So I'm disappointed that, for me, he was trying to be too clever. I'm just not having this poke in the eye. I'm just not having it at all. On first viewing, it looked debatable. It looked dubious, all those types of things. And I don't think it's a foul. And I think Tyler Morton needs to recognise that that game is going into stoppage time. Sheffield United are on the attack. Just get yourself up. Even if your eye is hurting, get yourself up. Get yourself as a body and when we clear your lines, then go down and then get the treatment that you think that you need. So I'm just not having it. I've got no complaints as a Rovers fan. It wasn't a foul. I think the linesman has got a really good view, actually. So he can probably actually see what's gone on. And if the letter of the law says, yes, stop the game if it's a head injury, I actually think the linesman has probably given an instruction to the referee to say, it's not a head injury, don't worry. So I'm probably not having this letter of the law thing either because I just think the officials have got confidence that Tyler Morton essentially has just tried to go down and and obviously recognise that he's lost the ball. So it's backfired massively because you could then argue that he's probably a man closing down Tommy Doyle when he hits that ball into the net. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a foul. I think it's really, really soft. And ultimately, it, it's proved costly for Rovers. Yeah, I, I ultimately agree with you that it's not a foul. It's soft. It's probably naive is probably the best word. And 
Again, Thomason was asked about his substitutions and sort of how they managed the final 10 minutes. And he was quick to point out that they don't have the experience of Sheffield United's bench, all the usual stuff about parachute payments and different budgets, which which is true. And I suppose if you look at the bench, you've got 17-year-old cover at centre-back in Ash Phillips, the two midfielders in Wharton and Garrett are both under 20. Dolan's your most probably experienced and best attacking option at 21. Harry Leonard's on there at 18. So it's it's a very young bench. And I think that naivety cost him. Tyler Morton will learn from that, ultimately. I do think it's a little bit of a point about the letter of the law, but we are getting into technicalities and just trying to play a bit of devil's advocate. I don't think the game should have been stopped, ultimately. And I think that it's a brilliant strike into the top corner. And it leaves me... It left me very... I was angry at the full-time whistle about some of the things that happened in the last 10 minutes, some of the things I've spoke about a little bit more calm and rationally on this podcast. Then I sort of went into disappointment and just wanted the ground to swallow us up. Such a missed opportunity. But now when I reflect on Monday morning, having you know written out my thoughts on Lightside this morning for a bit of an, a verdict piece, it was quite cathartic. And I'm, I'm generally feel, filled with a little bit of pride coming away from the match. It, it was a brilliant performance. You can't get away from that regardless of the scoreline, we're not going to be results-driven. It was a really good performance. And it shows how far Blackburn have come since the start of the season. You know, If you compare it to the game in August at Bramall Lane, it's chalk and cheese. And it feels like this season has been split into three periods where we had the good start to the season, which everyone knew really wasn't going to last because the underlying numbers told a completely different story to what was happening on the pitch. Bit of a wobble after the World Cup break, losing to Burnley, losing to Preston, poor run of form till the start of January. And then this third block in 2023 where Rovers have only lost twice in the league, obviously lost in the FA Cup as well. But the performances have been absolutely fantastic. And for me, it shows what they have become and how they developed. And equally, yesterday showed me what the next step is and what they've got to do. And that's, you've got to be more clinical, more ruthless and more streetwise to be a top, top team in the championship. Ultimately, they're not quite there yet. They shouldn't be there yet if we look at pre-season expectations, where the squad is at, the development of these young players. But coming away from Bramall Lane, I felt disappointed. I do think it's a massive opportunity missed because to get to Wembley, forget the fact Rovers have never been, which only adds to the agony, but the fact that to get to an FA Cup semi-final to beat championship opposition when you've led twice away from home, that doesn't happen often. That's not going to happen very often for these players in their careers. So it will it will hurt over these next few days for the players especially. But there is pride in the performance when you consider the other big occasions we've had this season. Burnley away, just didn't turn up. Absolutely battered, didn't turn up. Preston, even more appalling, didn't turn up. Completely overroared by the occasion on both of those games. That's not that's not what happened. And I think you saw that from the big round of applause at the end of the game where all the players came over. There was a big line of stewards behind them. And it felt like a real poignant moment of, yes, we're absolutely gutted, collectively fans and players, but there was pride in that performance. What was it like to be part of those, not celebrations, but, but that moment of almost reflection with the players at full-time, Ryan? 
Yeah, it was <clears throat> it was just a moment of just pure pride. It, a, a weird feeling because ultimately I was absolutely heartbroken. I was really heartbroken and, you know, it is an opportunity missed. Sheffield United were only ahead in that game in stoppage time, which really, really hurts. So that was, you know, an overwhelming feeling of heartbreak, but pride because, do you know what? It was a humdinger of a game. It was a brilliant advert for championship football. It was two fairly evenly matched sides and it could have gone either way, all those cliches that you want to throw. And Rovers, unfortunately, have come out um, on the other side of that. But yeah, pride is the overwhelming feeling. And what yesterday showed me is I had some doubts about, you know, I think we will make the top six, but I had doubts about whether we would do anything after making the playoffs because it's all well and good making the top six. You've still got to go and win your games in the playoffs. Yesterday actually showed me that I think we now can win two games over two legs and get to Wembley because we've gone to Bramall Lane there and we've stood up, we've been counted. The last 12 games that you've spoken about, we've got a grit, we've got a resilience that shows that you know we can roll with it when the chips are down and, and when teams are going to make it difficult on their own patch. So that moment at the end when the players lined up it was very poignant because it's a kind of like, okay, we're going to go down. Uh, we're going to go away, dust ourselves down, be fit for two weeks. And then we're going to hit this final block of games and we need you with us. It was a kind of like the fans facing the players, the players facing the fans. Poignant is the right word that you've used there, Elliot. And they've given me oodles of confidence now going into that final block because I think they're up for it and I think they want it. And I think they can actually use this result and the disappointment of it to their advantage, just to eyeball 6,000 fans in the eyes, every one of them, to just really show what that means. I think it will do us wonders, actually. So pride, but excitement going forward, because I think we can do it. I think that the break comes at an expert time, because you would yeah. not want a hangover. And I think Rovers players will need a bit of a break, emotionally and physically, to recover from such a game. I'm glad the international break comes now because you'd be worried that the disappointment could spill into the league campaign. And actually, I think with a slightly longer break, which they're going to have, I think it will give a chance to reset and actually harness that disappointment and use it as fuel and fire to make sure they go and finish in the playoffs. Just the final word I'd like from you, Ryan. You obviously went with your two boys. It was one of their first away game. How was that for you as a supporter? as someone that's followed Blackburn Rovers your entire life, seen them win the Premier League. It's probably the biggest occasion Rovers have had since they got promoted back to the Championship from League One. What was that like as a supporter, as someone making memories with their two boys? Talk us through that for us. So uh, I always rank this on um, how much do Rovers nearly make me cry? And because <laughs> at 1-0 and at 2-1, I, I I don't mind admitting I was wobbling a little bit. I was getting a bit tearful and hearing the fans sing and thinking like we were getting to Wembley. You know, it was a real big occasion. And before the game, you could just sense it in the crowd and just the positivity and the away end and the chance and, and just the whole thing was just fantastic. Um, squashed my boys, you know, when <laughs> when both goals were scored, all of those things. It's all about the memories. But yeah, it was a big one, you know, against the backdrop of some big games and big moments that I've seen, you know, the fact it nearly made me cry and I probably would have cried had the full-time whistle gone and, and we got to Wembley. That shows you how much of a big game it was, even for someone like me is who's seen some really great times as well. So it was a fantastic occasion. And I saw loads of families, you know, a real mixed demographic of age groups and backgrounds. And it was just brilliant to see a real, real day out. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan, there was another game last week, which we'll now come on to and look at the bigger picture of the the final nine league games. Blackburn beat Reading 2-1 at Ewood Park. A deserved win. It would have been an absolute travesty if they had lost that game in truth. They went ahead through an early goal from Ben Brereton. Diaz, another breakaway from a swift corner attack, very similar to the the goal that Pickering scored against Sheffield United. Again, another story of them missing absolute buckets of chances. I think Sam Gallagher could have had a hat-trick. And then Cassidy pulls them level. And there's a new challenge. Rovers aren't going to see this out 1-0. They're not going to or get a second goal and make it more comfortable, which is 2-0, which doesn't happen very often either. Can they get through this back wall of Reading who have just sat everyone in trying to break the game up? And they found an answer to that, that question, which is not one they've been posed particularly that often because they're quite good at seeing the 1-0s out. Lovely ball from, I have to say, I thought Morton's role in the goal was very underrated. Really good quick control into into Gallagher, brilliant back heel into Hedges, poked in the winner. And it was a really important win to get Blackburn back into winning shape, get them knowing that going into the Sheffield United game that ultimately they were going to be in the playoffs going into the international break. And as we'll come on to, results went for them this weekend as well. Yeah, I said on last week's pod that um, I said two things. I said one, a quick start was absolutely vital in this game. And I did fancy Rovers to do that because I thought and knew that they would understand the magnitude of the game. And then the other thing I said is that I thought we'd win the game comfortably, which thank you, Rovers, for not making me look good by missing all of those chances. But in truth, we should have done, shouldn't we? But it was just one of those where I just knew we'd be up for it and knew we'd be up for the fight. And to get a very quick goal, that just gives you the platform. And the only disappointment of that whole game is the fact that we've not won it more comfortably and made it more difficult for ourselves. And um, yeah, you're right. A totally different challenge. Um, I think Rovers could have been looking quite shell-shocked, actually, after that Reading equaliser, because you can feel sorry for yourself. You can just kind of think, oh, it's not our day. It's one of them. Smodich hits the post, you know, those types of chances. But I'm pleased you've highlighted Tyler Morton because, you know, he's probably rightly got a bit of flack recently for his performances. I don't think he's been up to standard. And I think there are elements of his play that he can improve on. But he did magnificently well for that winning goal. Um, It was a brilliant touch, as you say. And then just to exchange passes, I think it was with Pickering, it could have been with someone else, and then play that ball through to Gallagher. You know, don't understate his role in that goal at a really critical time in the game. And then Sam Gallagher, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) He is an an enigma. Yeah, that's the word I was just searching for. I just... I love and hate him at the same time and in equal measure. I just... I think I said to you just before we started recording this, if you could design a footballer, it would be Sam Gallagher in terms of his physique and his pace and his aggression and everything that he brings onto a football pitch. But he is one of the most frustrating footballers ever. But that back heel is just out of this world. Only Sam Gallagher could miss a hat-trick of (laughs) gilt-edged opportunities and then somehow produce a Zlatan Ibrahimovic-esque back heel to set up the winner. 
And it's even the technique on the back heel. It didn't even, it doesn't look like a traditional back heel, if you want to call it that. He's hit it like a, a croquet bat or something like that. Just, a, <laughs> just so nonchalant. And then Ryan Hedges, I mean, that's not an easy finish when you're going into the no. Blackburn and knowing the magnitude. And to do it with the outside of his boot, just what a finish. And um, I'm pleased for Hedges. You know, I've said it on the other podcasts as well. Players that have had to sit on the bench and do their time this season when they've been playing well, ultimately I feel sorry for. So I'm really pleased that Ryan Hedges got the winner and and obviously got Rovers the three points and a really important three points as it turned out as well with, with the results, as you say. Yeah, for Hedges, I, I always feel like, I really like him. I mean, he's a nice footballer, but I think he he's never someone that I think you're going to bring on and he's going to score a goal or impact a game. I think that he, he, he has some really nice touches. He, you know, he keep links play nicely. He's a very aesthetically pleasing footballer. But is he good enough at getting those rough goals at those big moments, shooting in the box and putting the ball in the back of the neck, that, that decisive pass? It feels like a bit of a nearly man when it gets to the 18-yard box. Outside of it, really nice, really slick. So for him to come up and actually do the exact opposite of all those things I've just described and get that winning goal, that was really important. And that was good for me to, to see for, as well. That, that alleviated some doubts in my mind that actually he can come off the bench and impact games, um, which I'd not really seen up until this season. It was only when he'd started and had that good run at the start of the season where felt like his season was drifting. And now hopefully this and the start at Sheffield United and a good performance at Sheffield United as well will give him some real impetus to go and finish the season as well as he started it because Rovers need need players informed they need players to be contributing and he certainly did that against Reading it leaves it left Rovers going into the weekend with a five-point gap that's been reduced to four which I think we'd have all loved at going into the weekend Millwall lost at, Hood, at home to Huddersfield which I absolutely couldn't believe I, that was the biggest shot for me um, Norwich were held at Stoke Luton were held at Sunderland so the results couldn't have gone better for Rovers They've got a four-point gap with nine games to go or eight games to go for their rivals. Rovers, of course, now have got a game in hand, which is Burnley, which is as tough a game in hand as you can have. So in yeah. some people's eyes, they might want to wipe that off, to be honest. But even if you did and say it's level and just say they've lost to Burnley, which I know, forget that it's Burnley, they've lost the game in hand, essentially. Four-point gap is excellent with nine, with eight games to go, essentially. They've got to use the Sheffield United result as motivation. As I say, I think having this two weeks off is really important to let everyone reset and just go, we don't want that disappointment at the end of the season because that's how it'll feel in the away end at Millwall if they haven't got over the line and they, you just don't want that. Five of the final nine games are at home. We've spoken about how the, the fixtures are split where it feels like they've got a real opportunity in the next four to get points on the board before things get a little bit tougher. Do you feel more confident or less confident after after the last week that Rovers will get there? Oh, more confident, definitely. Um, I agree. So the Reading game is, you know, we draw that game in other seasons gone by. We absolutely draw it. We've had, you know, the real showpiece draws like Yeovil at home, for example. We've had the real big ones that have been critical in our season. That Reading one is a game that absolutely we would have drawn in previous seasons. So to get the goal in the last 10 minutes in the way that we did, it was the last 10 minutes, wasn't it? I was yeah. this tracker timing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to get the goal in the last 10 minutes in the way that we did in front of the Blackburn end. Big, big win. And our rivals would have seen that and gone, oh, bloody Blackburn won again. And we've always been that team doing the reverse where it's, 
oh, bloody Middlesbrough won again or they won again or, or whoever. So we've always been the ones getting worried about other teams winning and we can't catch them. So if we keep winning and we keep putting points on the board, you're asking your rivals to go and win first and foremost. And when they don't, it keeps the gap the way it is. So really important win based on Reading. And then just the other stuff that I said about the Sheffield United game, just the fact that I fancy us to, to go away to some tough away grounds or even at home when teams like Norwich or Coventry or whoever might come to Ewood Park and make it difficult. I fancy us to really be resolute and get the results. So, yeah, I'm ultimately feeling more confident, Elliot. I absolutely am. And these next two rounds of fixtures, hadn't quite appreciated who our rivals were playing and who were playing each other. Really important period of the season, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels a while away, but Birmingham City are next up on the 1st of April. Um, they beat Queen's Park Rangers 1-0 at the weekend. Queen's Park Rangers are absolutely abysmal at the moment, so I don't think we need to read too much into that, to be quite honest. But Birmingham's season has generally been on a downward curve. They started really well. I think John Eustace has done a good job there, but off-the-field issues continue to hamstring them. And certainly at St Andrews, the, there is the possibility of things going quite nasty and toxic if the results on the pitch aren't working as well, when that anger then gets directed at the, the owners, and rightly so. Um, it can it can get a little bit toxic. It was Tony Mowbray's last game there last season as well, which is quite fun. And they can be a difficult outfit, but it feels to me like a match where at this stage of the season, you've just got to get the points on the board, get over the line. And as you say, with some of the games that are going on elsewhere between rivals playing each other, it does feel like a bit of a must-win to bounce back from Sheffield United and get those points on the board. Oh, any Rovers fan listening to this now, let me just read who our rivals have got. So Luton are playing Watford, Coventry are playing Stoke, Norwich are playing Sheffield United, West Brom are playing Millwall. I mean, in terms of the fixtures, they couldn't have landed any better in that sense. So if we were to get that win at Birmingham, we could be looking at something quite attractive there in terms of gaps to rivals and how well placed we are in those playoffs. And then we can then follow it up hopefully with a positive result against Norwich, it could start to feel like this is looking more likely than not. So absolutely, Elliot, you know, regardless of Birmingham's form this season and where they are in the table, and if you want to make top six, absolutely it's a team that we should be targeting for the win. But with who our rivals are playing and everything that I've said there, even more so, this is absolutely a game to go and target and, and get the victory. And we could be looking in a really good position come, you know, close a play on the 1st of April. Yeah, totally. It feels like a huge nine games to come for Rovers. It feels like they can harness the level of performance and some of the upset from Sunday and use it in a positive manner. Then they really will have a great chance of finishing in the top six. And, you know, those players I said earlier on the podcast, there's not many opportunities you're going to have to go to Wembley and it feels like an opportunity miss, but they've got the opportunity to get into the playoffs and get themselves to Wembley that via you know, what would ultimately be an even bigger occasion. And I, I've i been fully on board with this cup run. I said I would give up the Sheffield United win to win and get to Wembley. But ultimately getting to the playoffs final would be far, far more important. Oh, totally. And the bit that I'm kind of comforting myself with now is that Sheffield United drew Man City. So if I can save myself 300 or whatever quid it would be to go down to Wembley in a semi-final to watch us get battered by Man City, and I trade that, for a playoff final in a genuine 50-50 game for promotion to the Premier League, where who knows what will happen. I'll take the second option every day of the week. So um, let's take the the anguish of, of 24 hours ago 
and hope that Rovers can make the top six and get that playoff final and, and go for that in May instead. Right, Ryan, we'll round off this week's podcast with our Rovers riddle. Last week, it was a 1,000 kilograms of my favourite fruit. I didn't get that. I, I kept flirting with Ton and I just... You know, you I get right. my... You were right to be flirting with Ton. But I just... I give myself 24 hours to do these and I just could not make it work. And I don't even know what whoever created these favourite fruit is. So I need to learn more about that person, don't I? It was uh, Michael Appleton. Oh, bloody Appleton. I didn't realise we were bringing managers into it as well. I should have read the T's and C's. Yeah, you should have when you signed up. And the second one was the Saint of Wales might. Oh, David May. That one Correct. was fairly easy yeah, on you... that one. Yep, so 50%, one out of two. Uh, we had quite a few messages that, that got them both, so well done to you if you did that. And this week's are a digit, a joint, and a mode of transport. That's number one. And number two is that place has a basement. So those are your two Rovers riddles for this week. Uh, make sure you tweet us at Inside Brockle. Let us know your answers, and uh, Ryan will be racking his brain no doubt for well for 24 hours but two weeks until we, we're back recording so there will be no podcast next weekend with the international break i'm away on holiday on my stag do so uh, we won't be recording but i'm good hopeful luck. we'll have yeah good luck indeed we're not going on a four-day bender to dublin so i should be at birmingham i should should be alive hopefully <laughs> so i'll be off next weekend so there'll be no podcast but i'm hoping we'll have a bit of bonus audio for you guys on the feed anyway so there should be an episode one way or another and that rounds off this week's Inside Brockle podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter at Inside Brockle and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed in your chosen podcast app, whether that's on Apple, Google, Spotify or any other platform. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Inside Brockle podcast.